Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. This week we talk about risk versus reward on the sporting pitch and what measures we can take to keep ourselves safe while playing sometimes dangerous games. What helmets can do to protect us and potential risks that we have from wearing them and how we can keep ourselves safe and monitor that over time. This week on LaGrange Point, balancing sporting risk and safety through using science. Now, as, as scientists and on the science podcast, it often seems to have an inherent conflict between sport and science. And it can be seen to be a war between two worlds that can never quite reach. But the reality is that some of the greatest achievements in sport can only be reached through the help of science. And we've talked many times on this podcast about the way that science enables athletes and sports to excel beyond the realms of what they thought was possible, whether or not that big golf balls becoming much more straighter and accurate by some incredible material science to fantastic hot pants that let the... UK Olympic cycling team get that edge on their competitors. Science and sport actually work hand in hand in a lot of ways, not only to make sport more fun, but also to make it more safe. And it's not a conflict between these two things. They actually work really, really well together, and it's really important that they work together. Now, I mention this because it's actually quite a bit of sad news, uh, particularly for any Commonwealth country or any listener in Australia. Um, One of the the young aspirant test cricket players, Philip Hughes, passed away uh, today, in fact. I was recording on Thursday the 27th. And it's a really sad story. Um, he died on the cricket pitch almost, basically, um, from a blow to the head. He's a batsman, which means he was facing balls hurtling down the cricket pitch at 140 kilometres an hour. And a cricket ball is basically a rock covered in a bit of leather. And if that strikes you at the wrong place, it can be really serious. People have broken ribs, hands, cracked skulls. But what actually undid Philip is a bit more insidious than that. He managed to hit outside his protective helmet and outside all his protective gear and give him a traumatic brain injury that is often seen in terrible high-speed car accidents, not on sporting pitches. And unfortunately, he was not able to recover from that. And it's quite interesting because cricket players are some of the most heavily protected players. They wear chest guards, big padding underneath their chests, on their knees, on their shoulders, on their arms, on their heads, on their groins. If you name it, they have it covered. Except, of course, for some small areas where, you know, like their wrists or whatever, where they need to actually have some movement and flexibility. And that's unfortunately where this freak accident managed to occur. And it raises the big question about how we can be safe in sport and what can we do to protect ourselves in sport now this is a terribly tragic incident for one specific high profile elite athlete but this is not just a problem that affects elite athletes uh, on the grand stage it's also one that affects young kids at school playing sports and it worries a lot of parents in all codes, not just cricket, but anything that has a bit of uh, physical activity in it. So protective equipment becomes a big question to be addressed in all of these areas. So are we concerned about kids because they're not wearing protective, like as much protective clothing as, say, like professional athletes? And that's a really big and tough question. As a parent, you obviously want your kid to be as safe as they possibly can be. So we started to see a large rise of people clamoring for their kids to be safe and wear helmets 
And some of the research that has come out of this has actually started to shed some light on some interesting science behind helmets, safety, concussions, brain damage, and even what it all has to do um, with long-term mental health and neurological conditions of the brain. So there's a lot of different science stories here which we can get into, which involve how we can protect ourselves, how we can make sure that that protection is working, monitor that over time, and how we can keep people safe. So Justin, I think first we should probably look at the main part of protective clothing, protective gear that people wear, which I think is the helmet. Yeah, that's right. And the helmet is pretty much a universal piece of protective equipment that's worn across all different codes and types of sporting activities. Um, Cyclists wear helmets, football players, AFL players can wear helmets. They wear certain types of helmets. Um, Rugby league players also wear a similar type of helmet to AFL players. Um, Cricket players wear very big helmets that more look like motorcycle helmets or NFL helmets, the American Football League type helmets. And so they, they come in different shapes and sizes, but they all serve the same job, and that is to protect the brain. Um, and protect the brain from what yeah, is the interesting part. But it's meant to protect the brain from impact, whether that be impact with somebody else, impact with another player, impact with the ground, or impact with an object. They're all trying to protect the brain from being hit in with a sharp and sudden impact. So if helmets are so universally used, do we definitely know that they're safe? Well, we can certainly say several things about helmets. And I'd have to point out that this is an area of active research and a huge amount of contention. So people are looking into this as a current research topic. But um, what we have found from studies on NFL players, which is American football, um, which is probably one of the most advanced types of helmets that we have out there, uh, wearing a helmet reduces the likelihood of skull fracture by about 60 to 70%. And brain bruising, which is where your brain actually gets damaged either from the impact or from the bleeding, um, by 70 to 80%. So that that's that's amazing. Like that's if you have a straight-on blow straight to the head, either from an object like the like a ground or a ball or something, or another person, it will dramatically reduce the likelihood of a skull fracture or brain bruising by a really serious margin. Not zero. It doesn't make you completely safe, but it will mean that you have a much less risk of actually having one of those injuries. So that that's really good. But the, the follow-up to that is, though, that's only for straight-on collisions. And the problem is that having a nice, clean, straight-on collision may happen um, in the opposing lines of an of a NFL team or in a scrum of a rugby team. But in a very volatile and moving sport like AFL or in a fancy dive that you might do uh, to make a, make a, a catch in NFL or d- dodging and weaving with, from a cricket ball in cricket, um, you're probably more likely to have a rotational blow, one which is a blow that moves across the surface of the head with some rotational force rather than a straight-on blow. And recent research has actually found that rotational injuries are not anywhere near is protected against by these brains. What it shows is that it only really does about 20% improvement to prevent rotational injuries than having no helmet at all, which is a really 
interesting number. So it has such a great reduction um, on front-on collisions, but only does a really minor amount for these rotational, more complex collisions, which may or may not be more common depending on the type of activity you're involved in. So if it's not protecting you against these rotational ones, does it have any negative effects? And and this is uh, another question that uh, people have had in mind. The other parts that people have looked into is also the physical force of the collision. Wearing a helmet means that uh, there's things with a lot less give. It may not seem like it, but your head is pretty soft and it actually has, your whole body has a lot of flexibility and given it. So when you run into someone else with that, it's not as a hard collision as it would be, it is when you wear a helmet because a helmet is made of plastic and metal and it really doesn't move. It's your head inside that that moves around. And often you can actually get pe- injuries where people are concussed from their head hitting the inside of the helmet, getting bruised, getting bleeding, leading to concussions. So this the rattling inside a helmet can be just as damaging as rattling outside of the helmet. And there's many studies which have been looking into the impacts of this rattling inside a helmet. So just to clarify, Justin, what exactly is a concussion? Like, what is a good definition of a concussion? Yeah, so basically what happens with our brain is that blood needs to be, and oxygen needs to be supplied to the brain so that it functions. But if you have too much blood in your brain, then it bleeds into your brain. What that can lead to is a loss of consciousness where your brain basically starts to shut down because it is being overloaded and flooded. Um, and this can lead to loss of consciousness. Too much and prolonged exposure of blood to the brain can obviously lead to death. Um, but it's this kind of bruising and bleeding that we refer to as being part of a concussion. And what you need to be careful of is that when you have a bruised brain, before it has time to recover and regrow, uh, you don't aggravate it further by going on and damaging it again. And concussion management is a, is a really serious problem. And how to deal with repetitive concussions is a, is a really big issue. So wearing helmets can definitely help reduce skull fracture and brain bruising. It's clear. That is 100% clear, especially for front-on collisions. But the problem is that there's less give in the helmet can lead to more internal hip injuries from the head rattling around inside the helmet, specifically some of those big bulky helmets like in NFL. Um, and also doesn't help very much with rotational injury. There are also some questions about whether or not wearing a helmet means you're more confident and more likely to go in hard in a circumstance where you wouldn't otherwise because you feel safe and protected, which might lead you to taking more risks in the first place. And if you're more likely to actually have an event that causes could cause a traumatic injury that's going to negate all the positive effects of having this helmet in the first place so there's a lot of a couple of issues around the wearing of helmets that um, are being actively researched to try and find a, a better design for helmets that can actually be safer but also tackle some of these issues specifically around rotational and internal rattling inside the helmet So, Justin, how likely is it that people will get concussions? Yeah, and this is uh, something that we've become progressively more and more aware of as we've gone on through time. Uh, specifically, anyone with young kids and playing football, will, specifically AFL in Australia, but football and, uh, and the rest of the world, uh, like either rugby or NFL, uh, people have uh, found that, that it's, it's quite common. Like um, 5% of all injuries in junior AFL in Australia and... 20% of injuries in adult level players are related to head, like head trauma, which can lead to concussions type injuries. Uh, injuries. 
And this has led, you know, that's a, that's a huge number because head trauma is often more traumatic than breaking a bone because breaking a bone, you can understand the process of healing there. It's really clear. You can make sure that the progress works. It's really painful. It has a long recovery time, but it's clear, it's visible, and we know how to treat it really easily. Brain injury, on the other hand, is something we really don't understand, can be hard to diagnose and assess, and also hard to treat. So 5 and 20%, specifically in junior levels, is, a, is a quite a worrying number, which has led to calls for headgear to become compulsory. Um, and certain codes like AFL and rugby have actually um, seen compulsory soft-style headgear to just provide some additional padding to try and soften the impact not prevent impact at all, but just to roll with it and soften the impact that they receive. And, you know, that's that that's great. But concussion can be a really serious problem because you may have, have seen people get knocked out. I've seen some fantastic videos from World Cup and football matches, soccer matches, um, where people are knocked out clean, out cold on the field from a traumatic blow to the head. Um, they get revived and in order to help their team win, they're back on the field within you know, 20, 30 seconds, playing phenomenally, scoring goals, and you know, and that's great. There is a video of a player who is a, a, a defensive player from one of the uh, teams in the World Cup who played terribly up to the point he was knocked out cold and concussed, after which he came back. He was phenomenal. He, like, scored two goals. He was amazing. Something happened in that intervening period, uh, quite traumatic to his brain, but whatever it did, the short-term effect was that it was fantastic for that team. The long-term reality, though, of repetitive brain injury is a really big deal. Repetitive concussions, um, which basically means continuous brain damage, effectively, on a regular basis, can lead to people developing severe neurological impairment equivalent to that of having alzheimer's or other severe neurological degenerative conditions by the age of about 35 and 40 which is absolutely terrifying um we could think that you know someone like a boxer who takes all those blows to the head you know obviously you know they might end up like that really quickly but young sporting players can also end up the same thing playing a much less visibly um aggressive type of um, encounter so much so that it has been a huge deal in the American Football League, the NFL, for many years. That in fact, that the the NFL governing body just had to pay a, a massive um, settlement of almost a, a billion dollars, basically, um, uh, for many players over a period of about twenty years um, for concussion-related brain injuries that, and the damage that it's caused these players over their lifetimes, the cumulative amount of damage. So it's become a huge issue. Um, in the United States and slowly in other countries as well, that is having real quality of life impacts on people, um, not in the short term, but in the long term. A broken arm that heals itself after a couple of months is much better than having a, a lifetime of brain damage that you'll carry with you forever because you only get one brain and it's actually really hard to fix. So what are we doing to prevent some of these kind of things? Yeah, and it's a... It's something that we've actually benefited a lot from the experience of a lot of returning servicemen from the military. So when people were coming back from the second Gulf War uh, or service in Afghanistan, they were having some also some pretty traumatic brain injuries. They were getting exposed to grenades going off, explosions, um, 
IEDs, improvised explosive devices going off, vehicles shaking around, and they were also ending up with their heads rattling around inside these very well-designed helmets, military-grade helmets meant to stop bullets, um, and ending up as well with these traumatic brain injuries, which, along with a number of other problems, were causing huge amounts of issues in the veteran community. And what they learned from that is they started to see the same symptoms presenting themselves in sports players. So to combat that, they said, well, okay, well, why don't we start taking some of the things that we learned from the military and applying it to uh, the sport context? And one of those is the idea of a baseline test. And that is where you take a, uh, a series of tests generally done with playing cards. And you can do it either on an app or you can do it with physical cards or a computer. It doesn't matter. But what they do with this baseline testing um, is they run the test with Everyone, basically all athletes participating in a sport, for example, uh, at the start of a season or when they're just starting out their career. And then they do that at regular intervals through their career, along with during the individual season. And all it does is it shows you certain card combinations and shows you things on the screens and you have to respond to them quickly. And each thing is meant to trigger different parts of your brain and it measures your response. So what that does then is it says, okay, well, from that, we can get a typical score of your behavior and your brain's activity and the way your specific brain works. And then when you start to deviate from that, we know that, okay, well, maybe you've suffered some type of damage that we need to either rescue or undertake some rehabilitation or work with you to actually get through. And they use that now in many of these professional sports to actually check the, the physical health of the brain, much in the same way you would check if a bone is broken, they can now check if your brain has been damaged um, without having to, you know, obviously check if you're unconscious. We can do some more sophisticated and long-term testing. Like it's basically finding out if you're bruised or suffering into these long-term impairments which may take longer to heal. We've learned a lot about the way our brains work and we've learned a lot about how we can protect them with helmets. Helmets do a lot of good to protect our brains from all types of injuries, as do a lot of the protective equipment we wear. No protective equipment is going to be perfect and no protective equipment is going to ever remove the risk that exists in sport. All sport at all levels has a certain amount of risk and danger to it. Partly that's what makes it fun. Partly that's what makes it enjoyable to watch But it's also a fact of life. Everything we do in our daily lives exposes us to risk. As soon as we wake up in the morning and get out of bed, we are exposed to risk. It's not about being afraid of that risk or making or blaming others, all the equipment for the risks that we're exposed to. But it's about making sure we have adequate and safe controls in place to minimize that risk as much as possible. Accidents will happen. Tragedies will occur. But the best we can do is try to keep that to as low as frequency as we possibly can. And we can do that with sporting equipment that is both safely designed, safely monitored over time to make sure that people aren't returning back into play too soon, but also designed to cover all kinds of forces and impacts, not just what um, is the most common. And we also need to make sure that uh, we're not having unnecessary behavior changes as a result of putting on these, these helmets, which would increase risk. Doing all these things together, we can minimize risk and keep us safer. Not perfectly safe, but safe enough to continue on with our daily lives. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. 
This week, we discussed how to keep ourselves safe on the sporting pitch, how our protective gear helps us, the risks that we also still face, and how we can live in a world filled with risk. We also dedicate this episode to Philip Hughes, who died on the cricket pitch, 63 not out. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.